是台湾人，台湾人，台湾人。Welcome to Taiwan Yuan, your global community of Taiwanese makers, innovators, and advocates. I'm your co-host Cindy, and I'm your other co-host Esther. Today, we're going vegan with Mai, the owner of Ucha Cha Cafe in Taiwan. Mai shares with us her unlikely journey of how she landed in Taiwan and the greater mission behind her food. Okay, Cindy, let's get into it. Hi, Mai. Tell us about yourself and your connection to Taiwan. Hi, all. I'm Mai, and actually, I previously, before coming to Taiwan, I didn't actually have a connection to Taiwan. I came here because my boyfriend, now husband, studied Mandarin when we were in university. So he convinced me that we should stop in Taiwan before teaching English abroad and kind of, you know, soft land into Asia through Taiwan. And so he. Had a bunch of language exchange partners during university, and that was kind of how he became familiar with Taiwan. And me, being kind of like the normal ignorant American, <laughs> thought Taiwan was Thailand, and so um, I had a lot to learn about, like where it was and the culture. And yeah, it's been a wild ride. So my background is I'm Vietnamese, and I was born and raised in Southern California. So in your journey, I guess from just landing in Taiwan, getting used to the country. What eventually inspired you to start Uchacha, your cafe? So, funny enough, while I was in Taiwan and when we were traveling through China, is when I made the decision to kind of completely switch my diet and become vegan. Actually, I went vegetarian、mm. first, and then because of health reasons, I decided to look into veganism and more specifically, like plant-based、mm-hmm. whole foods diet and. That really, like it, it. I felt really good on it. It felt very much like how I was supposed to be eating and kind of living my life. But then when I was in Taiwan, when we decided to come back and stay, it was super hard to like go out and eat. You know, Taiwan has like a really rich culture and history around Buddhist vegetarianism. So there's like a lot of places that you can go to get that kind of food really easily. But if you're looking for like really clean, whole foods, plant-based eating, it was really hard ten, fifteen years ago. So I was learning to cook at home. I was experimenting a lot, especially with like local produce, and that's kind of what sparked this passion and interest. And we started to realize a lot of people don't really understand or know or think about their food, especially in Taiwan. And so we thought. If we really wanted to empower people to understand more about their food, you kind of have to feed them first,、mm-hmm. and then you can start having conversations with people. It's like food is a gateway to everything: culture, understanding, dialogue. So for us, we're like, if we opened up a cafe and showed people kind of like a different viewpoint, a different perspective on what vegan food could be, we could start conversations.、Mm. And so that's how Uchacha was born. Why is it called Uchacha? It's totally nonsensical. Okay, so <laughs> it's like Agendas, right? So when we started Uchacha, we had actually initially wanted to do a tea room. Like we were like, okay, how are we going to get people to come to this vegan place? Like people don't know really about vegan, and so we're like, okay, let's be really gimmicky and get these flowering tea balls. And so we're like, okay, we can do like a tea room and have 
by accident, vegan, like tea sandwiches and stuff like that, right? That's how we're going to pe- get people in. And so we were looking at all these tea balls and they're really cool. Like they made them so they bunched up into a ball, but when you put them in hot water, they would bloom. So, okay, that was the idea. We're going to go with a vegan tea room. And, you know, cha is tea in Chinese. And one day a friend just looked at us and was like, oh, ooh la la, ooh cha cha. And we're like, wait, <laughs> wait a minute. Is that it? <laughs> we're like, is, is this the name? And we didn't think about it too long before we're like, yes, this is the name. Because in Chinese, the characters were like dancing TT. And, you know, from what I was told, doubling up the characters like cha cha is very cute in Chinese, right? And so... Mm-hmm. It ended up being like a very cute and memorable Chinese name. So we just went with it. And then we totally pivoted away from the tea and we just kept the name. I love that. <laughs> it is. What a fun story. I got to call it. Ooh, cha-cha. <laughs> Ooh, cha-cha. Yeah. We just call it ooch for short. And then, and then from there, ooch. it just like the world opens up because we're like, hooch you know, nooch, like booch, like like kombucha is booch. And like, like we just kind of go all like we're off the rails. So now you guys know, it's like a very unceremonious story of naming our 10 year old brand. <laughs> no, I love it. Adds a little bit of whimsy to everything. Yeah, which is very, very, very whimsical. <laughs> 20 years from now, you know, if you were like, I did it, what would that look like? It's funny that you asked that because I think right now I'm at a crossroads actually. And so I have been trying to think about like 10 years from now, like 20 years from now, what is my life's work? Like what, what would I feel completely satisfied leaving this planet having done? And I don't know if I know that answer quite yet, but for me, everything kind of keeps pointing towards like food justice and food sovereignty. And that's just the basic human right that everyone deserves nutritious food. And it's not even, you know, like as a commodity, it's just like a basic right that everyone should have access to nutritious food. So in whatever form that comes, I think that's the journey. So whether it's community gardens or, you know, education around how to start your own farms, technology, I think there's a lot of different pathways. Essentially, I think that's the long-term vision and goal. My, you just brought up food justice and could you help our listeners by framing how veganism falls into that category? They are a little bit different. There's overlap for sure. So veganism is more in terms of like, the lifestyle and the ethos behind it is to minimize your harm, right? To try to make choices that minimize harm. And that's to everything, to the environment, to all sentient beings. So that includes humans, that includes animals. Sometimes the definition gets very narrow and just talks about non-human animals. Mm. But for me personally, I think veganism is about minimizing your harm and your impact, right? And so I think that encompasses also social justice movements, right? And being anti-racist, you know, like I think it encompasses all these things. So there is kind of a narrow definition of veganism that is out there and that focuses on no cruelty to animals. 
for me, it's like anti-oppression. So I would say that's kind of where I would hope the movement is going and that it takes on a more holistic and intersectional approach where the heart of it is we care about making sure there is no oppression in our systems, right? And so essentially the cruelty that is faced by these animals is they're being oppressed. They're basically, they don't have any say in what's happening to them, right? They're just put into these systems. In terms of food justice, so the food justice movement more has to do with the human side of it. Food justice is kind of the lens for the human aspect of anti-oppression. And so I think that's where they overlap is they are both rooted in anti-oppression and basic fundamental rights of sentient beings. I know it can get very like philosophical. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. For many people, they don't think about how, you know, what they eat, their lifestyle could play a bigger role in other people's lives as well. Yeah. Is there like a specific reason for you, a turning point that made food this political? I think when you start to learn and you have a foundation, it leads you to more places, right? Like you then have like the vocabulary or then you are exposed to newer sources and you understand it a little bit better. So I think a lot of people maybe start veganism for the ethics and the morality because that that's almost common sense, right? Like, oh, I, I can't kill that animal. It makes me feel bad. So I'm just going to abstain. But then once you talk to maybe more people, you come in contact with more vegans because you're in the community now, you start understanding why other people start doing it. And then they start talking about their reasons and you become more exposed to like different ideas. So for me, it kind of, that's how my journey morphed. It's like, I did it for ethical reasons. And then I did it because I didn't want to support the system, like industrial animal agriculture, because it is very, it's just detrimental on so many levels to the people who have to work in those systems. Like people don't think about like the psychological toll. Could you imagine working in a slaughterhouse? And then there's the environmental toll, which is huge because you don't think about it because obviously corporations don't want you to think about your food. Transportation industry is so heavily talked about in terms of greenhouse gas emissions. They contribute 13% to global greenhouse gases. Agriculture, specifically animal agriculture, contributes 18%. So, wow. Yeah, which is alarming, <laughs> which is, and people don't think about this or know this. They don't understand kind of. And when we're talking about global greenhouse gases, it's just not carbon emissions, it's also methane. And, you know, cows are huge contributors to methane and also lamb. Lamb is actually higher perpetrator than cows. So, didn't know that. Wow. No one talks about lamb. When I started reading and like putting these things together, I was just like, oh my gosh. But in the other part of that equation is, oh my God, we eat three meals a day. It would be so easy if people understood this to just be like, I'm going to eat less meat, right? That conversation is happening now. And I think it's Mm -hmm. moving really quickly, which has been amazing to see. But there needs to be more alternatives for people and kind of maybe less judgment. And I think it just needs to be a conversation about less rather than all or nothing. Hearing your story makes me think of what's happening in Canada. My friends and I have gotten into sustainable fashion in the last Mm -hmm. five years or so. So, you know, more secondhand 
slow fashion, so mm. not supporting the trendy fashion houses, if you will. And completely agree with you, Mai. You start with one aspect of your life changing. And like you said, you find out more connecting points. And so a lot of my sustainable fashion friends started becoming more involved in food justice as well, because it's all connected, of course. And like you said, I do think everyone has different reasons that might convince them to go vegan or do vintage shopping. I guess for me, though, in terms of food, I am a more consumer, if you will. You know, I am motivated by food, by the way it looks, smells, tastes. And I do think culture plays a big part. Growing up on pork belly, for instance, (laughs) if my mom cooks me something, I have to eat it. So I guess in terms of you starting this movement in Taiwan, facing Taiwan's food culture, especially our consumption of pork. What are your thoughts on how the Taiwanese can adapt to veganism? I think there's already like a really deep connection and history with Buddhism. So it's not actually like a huge leap for a lot of Taiwanese people to think about it in terms of spirituality, you know, like karmic cleansing and like these kinds of things. But I think the the bigger leap is obviously there's a huge environmental toll. So like, let's reduce our meat consumption because of these reasons. Like in terms of like the spiritual reasons, are you guys familiar with Buddhist vegetarianism? So like one of the key components is not eating alliums. So like anything from the allium family, which means onion. Yeah, onions, garlic, shallot, fleeks. That's the allium family. So they abstain from alliums because they feel they arouse strong emotions, right? And so one of the tenets of Buddhism is kind of Zen, right? Like being at peace, not being too angry, not being too happy. Like you don't want to go to the extremes. For me, I was like, I can't live without garlic and onion. You know, like when we first started introducing like our style of food, we would get so many questions about like, does this have onion and garlic? And at the beginning, we had no idea about this wuxingsu, like this no five pungent spices thing. That was like a huge learning for us. And bridging this gap between like Western philosophy and like perspective on veganism and like Taiwanese vegetarianism, Buddhist vegetarianism has been an interesting journey. But like back to your question, I think there is obviously, I grew up in a Vietnamese household, immigrant family. My mom was a refugee from the Vietnam War. She obviously cooked and kept our culture alive through food. And it is very hard for me, honestly, to be like, no, mom, I'm not gonna, you know, partake in your delicious pho today, you know? (laughs) But she is also an amazing Buddhist cook. Like she cooks at her Buddhist temple. So she does actually cook like some traditional dishes for me. I think one of the things for me that's like most important is it's okay to like have those foods. Those food memories are so strong and to keep up your culture I think for me, the the conversation is more like a reduction. Like those should be your special meals, right? Yes. And I think that's perfectly fine. And the other thing is in terms of actual food, it's not actually the animal protein that we miss. It's the flavors and the textures that we like. Mm -hmm. And so there are certain ways 
to develop those things in vegan cooking. And it's getting crazier with all this research and development into how to make alternative proteins. That's a whole field in itself now. Like there's the plant-based proteins. There's the alternative like cell-based ones where they're just growing them in like Petri dishes. (laughs) Like they're the actual like cells. Um, So like there's a lot of research into this area. And so the sensations that you're missing are two parts are texture and flavor profiles. So if you can mimic those things somehow, Mm -hmm. you will get the sensations and you will get the food memories. It does take a little bit of tweaking and obviously like really talented chefs can do it really well. So on that point, what are your cafe's most popular dishes? Ooh, so we just kind of went through like a menu revamp. But I would say we really had a hit with our chickpea flour mushroom tacos. So we did a a take on pulled pork using king oyster mushrooms. So we shredded them and then we would cook them in our house barbecue sauce. And then we would put all the stuff on it. Pico de gallo, you know, guac. Like those are the sensations. As long as we give you like a meaty texture to carry those flavors, people are like, oh my God. Like I'm getting like taco sensations, right? (laughs) Um, And so we deviated by doing like a chickpea flour tortilla because I wanted to bring protein in to the taco through some vehicle because it wasn't in the mushrooms, like really high quantities. So I do think about like the nutritional balance of the dishes when I'm making the menu. We can't do them right now because we don't have a full kitchen space anymore. But we do get messages like, where are the tacos? Like, why aren't they here? And we're like, okay, we'll try to figure it out. We'll try to bring them back. And our desserts, our raw cakes are kind of what helped raise our profile in the very beginning. So we, we did raw cakes. So the raw food movement like believes you shouldn't cook anything above 42 degrees Celsius. And mm-hmm. so we kind of took part of it, part of the philosophy and did it with the desserts. And people really were just like, there's no way there's no dairy or egg in this. Like, so we made cashew cheesecakes. So instead of using cheese, we use cashews. And we would transform them into kind of like these really creamy, decadent cakes. And we would actually have fights with people like the first two years we were open because <laughs> they were just like, there's no way you're lying to us. And I'm like, how dare you? You know, like, do not call me a liar right now. I will take you back there. You can see me make this. But that was kind of what helped really raise our profile in like the first two years that we were open. I can see Esther getting hungry. (laughs) Is it breakfast time? That sounds good. I'm just like, I was just thinking, I was like, oh my God, like a dairy-free cheesecake. All those lactose intolerant people in Taiwan must be so excited. So many people, I mean, Asian people are heavily lactose intolerant. Like it's, it's Mm -hmm. not a thing we really should be consuming. (laughs) (laughs) If only we could teleport to your cafe right now. (laughs) I mean, the vegan food in the U.S. is bomb. It's so good. Do you have any recs actually? I haven't actually ever been to New York, but I know... One place that I'm constantly stalking is there's a vegan sushi place that, um, oh God, they just make the most delicious looking stuff. Yeah. Beyond sushi, right? And 
like their stuff is insane. And they're like OGs, like they've been around. And then there's the cinnamon snail. So they used to be a food truck and made the craziest looking vegan cinnamon rolls. And like they had a diehard fan base. And then I think they were able to get a brick and mortar space and they actually expanded their menu and now do like burgers and like really amazing looking stuff. There is some crazy vegan happening in the US and amazing chefs. So off the top of my head in LA, Moby's place. Moby has a vegan restaurant in LA and I've heard like amazing things about it. I can't remember the name of it right now. Oh, the little, the little something. <laughs> Just look Moby vegan restaurant. <laughs> I'll have yeah. to try a cinnamon snail though. Just for the name. <laughs> yeah, cinnamon snail is super cute, right? Like cinnamon roll does look like cinnamon snail. And for our Taiwanese listener, obviously Uchacha, are there any other vegan places in Taiwan you recommend? I'm going to also shout out my second restaurant in Xinju. It's called Shinjuku. And we do a really kind of Western Asian take on vegan food. So it's like izakaya style. So it's all sharing plates. And I kind of draw influence from like all the different Asian countries and vegan, like veganize a few of like their iconic dishes. So we've been getting really great feedback from the community there in Xinju. In Taipei, oh man, you know, one of my favorite places is this low-key udon place called Hoshina. They used to have three locations. Now they've kind of downsized to one, which is very sad. Yeah, I mean, Taipei food and beverage scene is brutal. Just brutal. Yeah, that place is really good. Yeah, that's kind of like my favorite, favorite place to go. And then there's actually some restaurants that are not specifically vegan, but they do good vegan, like Gusto Pizzeria. They're not specifically vegan, but they have like a whole dedicated vegetarian vegan menu. And they work with this great local producer of vegan cheese called Moon Lab. And they use their cheese on the pizza. And it's so good. There you go. Another lactose intolerant option too. (laughs) Thank you for this. I think a lot of people who are now interested through this, now they have a lot of easy options in front of them. We mentioned earlier about how sustainability is a key part of why veganism is what it is. And as well as eating whole foods, we kind of touched on briefly that you participated in the slow food movement. And could you share just in general, what that means? So I'm not fully like an expert on the slow food movement, but I believe it started in Japan. Like it's basically the idea is similar to slow fashion. Slow food is like food that is not overly processed and isn't made like at a mass scale in a factory. It's like farm to table. And, you know, the people who are making your food are paid fair and equitable wages, living wages. So it's kind of taking into account like the whole value chain and not just like your in product, right? Like it's thinking about the ingredients, but it's also thinking about the hands that touch your food. And so the slow movement encourages knowing your ingredients and working with those ingredients and not overly processing them. So we really love the idea of the slow food movement and in Taidong in Taiwan, is where it really takes like its stronghold. They have a whole slow food festival actually every year. And all the kind of locals and all the 
local tribes participate. The slow food movement is not exclusively vegan. It's more mm-hmm. a philosophy on how you look at the food. So within that, there is like a little bit of a vegan movement, right? But the slow food movement is just thinking about who makes your food and how it's made. And so for us, like we participate and we support the slow food movement. But for us, we kind of wanted to go with like a certification that would help us understand if our company was being the most impactful that it could and not just environmentally. So we actually got B Corporation certified in 2020. So if you're familiar with Patagonia, they're kind of like one of the all-stars for the B Corporation movement. It looks at like five different parts of the company. And it's not just looking at like sustainability. It's also looking at your governance within your company and your Mm -hmm. culture and also your interaction with your customers. And then obviously your interaction with your suppliers and your supply chain. Like, is it local? How are they paying, you know, their employees? So I really like the holistic view and the holistic take on the B Corp certification. No certification is perfect, obviously. But I really liked that it took into account all these other aspects of the company that we were trying to really make better. Congrats on your B Corp certification. (laughs) You connect people through food, through your restaurants. How do you want to help facilitate and build more community in Taiwan? Is it still through food or is there something else that's on your mind? I think at the core, food is still my main driver. And I find that it's the perfect way to connect people and get people talking. Because at the end of the day, we all need food. Like each one of Mm -hmm. us cannot survive without food fundamentally, right? I would say the majority of people really find joy and love eating. So that's an easy way to bring a lot of people together. And sometimes you know, it can be awkward when you're meeting new people, but when you're around food, that automatically gives you something to talk about. If it's delicious food or if it's interesting or if it's unique. And if you all have a shared experience of delicious food, that bonds people almost immediately. You have this amazing shared memory. So you have like this positive feelings with these, this new community, right? Every gathering that you go to for anything, activism, for school, there has to be food. Food is key to a lot of like community events, right? And it's not always the focal point, but you need it. Like if you're going to hold a charity gala or if you're going to hold, you're going to bring any group of people together, you think about the food. And you do have a physical community space as well, right? Yeah. And I think. Any kind of work that has to be done, I think it was amplified during the pandemic, is so important for people to be able to meet together face-to-face in person because you can really feel the energy and that's how it builds and exponentially escalates like really quickly is when you can feel the energy from another person or the passion from another person. I think that's why in-person events and, you know, they will always continue to have importance and a space. What are some community events that you've supported through Uchacha or just by lending your space? Yeah, so that's one of the reasons like we were so heartbroken when we had to let go of our flagship space because it we really were able to build it and into a community gathering space. 
We love supporting organizations like Amnesty International. We always had a group called Green Drinks that came in. And actually, it's a kind of international movement. And the Taiwan chapter used to hold their green drinks every like two or three months at our space. And it brought together all kinds of like sustainability professionals. And then they could all talk about their work, right? And they didn't know, oh, oh, you're working on this. I wanted to know about this. And then you kind of see the nodes connecting and mm-hmm. like you kind of see it moving and you're like, oh my God, yes, I'm so glad these two people met, right? It wouldn't have happened anywhere else. And so like lots of, like SoGal Taiwan, which was more like empowering women in tech. And so we, we did a lot of like female empowerment stuff, obviously, me as a female founder. For me, that's like dear to my heart. It was amazing to see a lot of the organizations that came through and we were able to give them a space to actually physically meet. And you could see the connections that were being made. That's really awesome. I think it goes back to your point that like veganism and things related to this movement, they aren't just contained to like the veganism food lane. Because of this cafe, you've created space for women empowerment groups, for Amnesty International, who does great stuff too. It's just really cool that we can touch on all those different political issues and important issues through your cafe, which... I think is really inspiring. What is the future for Uchacha? Part of my personal and professional, I think, crossroads that I'm at, thinking about how do I bring these two things together, like my wife's mission and goal and taking Uchacha's brand. And at the end of the day, the core of Uchacha's empowerment. And whatever form that takes, I'm not sure what the end form will be. Mm-hmm. But that is the core of the company is empowering people to make impact every day in their life. Right. And it's, it's small choices. It's not even like huge things where like, I'm just not going to use plastic anymore. You know, like obviously you're just like, that's just almost so hard. Right. It's just like small daily choices and letting people know that you can actually make a difference as an individual. It can feel overwhelming, but it's possible. I think it's just the community work and hopefully bringing all the puzzle pieces together. I hope that we're a catalyst for bringing the right people together or the right organizations together to actually build an equitable community in Taipei because that's where we've chosen to live. But maybe it creates a, you know, a model that can be used in other places. The next time you're in the country, make sure you stop by Uchacha and try at least one of their unique dishes like three cup mushroom rice or the Vietnamese coffee panna cotta. If you want to learn more about veganism, you can also follow plantbasednews.org and Taiwan Vegan Frenzy. They're tagged in the show notes for you to explore some more. Taiwan, Taiwan. Taiwan.